Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. My name is Ira Jersey. I'm the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. Today, we go over to the Bloomberg Economics team, our sister organization who covers uh, all of the global economy in just about every single market around the world. With me today is Stuart Paul. He is a U.S. economist who works with Chief U.S. Economist Anna Wong and that team. And Stuart, I have to give you guys kudos. You guys nailed what uh, Jay Powell would say at the December press conference, noting that he would start to set up the market for interest rate cuts in uh, 2024. And, and certainly the dot plot, the summary of economic projections, and even the Q&A of Powell's press conference certainly led the markets to um, to, to view it that way. You, you know, was there anything that kind of surprised you guys in terms of not necessarily the market reaction, because I think the magnitude of the market reaction surprised just about everybody, but, but in the actual Fed statement, in the summary of economic projections and the dots and the like, what, was there anything that stood out to you as being somewhat surprising? Uh, a little bit surprising to me was that Jay Powell actually took a bit more of a dovish tone than I would have anticipated. Given that it was a well-signaled pause, we thought that uh, at least during the press conference, he would try to jawbone markets into believing that this would be something more like a hawkish hold. Uh, instead, his acknowledgement that uh, the inclusion of the word any in any additional policy firming that might be necessary uh, is an acknowledgement that uh, they are making their way towards a pivot sounded a bit to us like they started talking about talking about when rate cuts will be appropriate. And given the fact that they included in their dot plot an additional rate cut in 2023, uh, or excuse me, in 2024, um, again, he took on a bit more of a dovish tone during the press conference and in the SCP than we would have anticipated. Uh, that being said, that was further compounded by the fact that in the SEP, they did not upwardly revise the median FOMC forecast for the unemployment rate. Uh, so it all takes on a much more optimistic view than we hold and a bit more of an optimistic view than we anticipated in terms of soft landing uh, possibilities. So when when we think about what the Federal Reserve is likely to do next year. The market, you guys have, if memory serves, about um, about 125 basis points of interest rate cuts uh, for calendar 2024, starting um, sometime uh, in in you know late first, early second quarter. I guess the question is now the market's gone the other way, and now we're pricing 150 basis points of interest rate cuts um, by uh, looking at short-term interest rate uh, futures and and uh, and other derivative markets um, with with some follow-on uh, cuts thereafter. You know, uh, do, which risk do you think is more likely that we wind up pricing in the J.P. Morgan Investment Management's call of 200 cuts, or that we don't get the cuts that are currently being priced in the market? The I, I think that risk is probably skewed towards the Fed not cutting enough. Uh, I, I think that everybody would acknowledge that at least on the hiking side, the Fed was a bit behind the eight ball and was too slow to hike as inflation started to mount. I think that the Fed could be too slow to cut as well. 
um, by not acknowledging some of the softening economic fundamentals in the background and instead might be distracted by, say, the downtick that we saw in the unemployment rate in November. So I think that risk is probably skewed towards the Fed being too slow to cut rather than too quick to cut and in large chunks. So so from the market perspective, and I'll just interject here, my, my personal opinion is that, uh, and, and I, I agree, I, I was a little bit surprised that Jay Powell didn't push back at least a little bit against the uh, um, some of the the cuts that were being priced into the market prior to the meeting, or or that he didn't at least acknowledge the fact that they existed, and that maybe the market needed to reassess the the path of economic activity. Um, the the large rally in when you talk about 25, 26 basis points in in two year yields and eighteen basis points in in ten year treasury yields, um, I, you know that shows obviously firstly the liquidity illiquidity in the market. Uh, and secondly, the fact that a lot of people were still probably somewhat short the market after uh, we had sold off so significantly back in the in the third quarter of this year, um, and and now that we're you know below four percent on on ten year treasury yields, um, we're we're moving significantly lower in terms of um, of two year yield pricing and and you know pricing as as the rest of the market is about two hundred basis points of cuts over the next eighteen months. Um, I, I guess the question is, what actually prompts the Federal Reserve to cut as aggressively as the market's pricing? What do you think that the market is kind of, um, you know, fearing in terms of in terms of economic outcomes? Because you've had at Bloomberg Economics, you guys have been calling for a recession starting about now, going into the first quarter, and then a slow recovery thereafter. Um, but if you have a recession now and then a slow recovery, the question is, why wouldn't if the Fed was going to cut, presumably they'd cut early, and and if we have a recovery that's pretty clear in the second in, in the second half of next year, then why would they still be cutting interest rates significantly at that time? So I guess the question is whether you believe the headline data that we've been getting recently, or whether you believe some of the uh, some of the details that are underneath the surface, some of the details that are below the fold, so to speak. So for example, yes, we saw an increase in the pace of hiring in November, um, but we saw most of the job gains concentrated in acyclical or even counter-cyclical industries. The most pro-cyclical industries are not only not hiring, but uh, they're inching towards layoffs. Same thing if you look again at the details of the CPI report, uh, sure, inflation surprise to the upside. So one might suppose that uh, the Fed can maintain a higher for longer posture or be slower to cut uh, if you're the Fed, for example, if you're looking at those, those top line numbers. But uh, within the core, 60% of line items experienced outright deflation month over month, and it's just a few small items that are supporting those headline numbers. So that's really what we're seeing when we look at economic fundamentals. There is softening under the surface, and the diffusion of sort of recessionary factors is becoming a bit more pervasive. Um, so if we're policymakers at the Fed and we're trying to balance our dual mandate, but we're being blinded by top line figures, we might be slower to cut if you're like us and you think about economic fundamentals really from a bottoms up perspective and uh, um and you you see that deflationary uh that deflationary drag coming in 60% of the core and you see hiring concentrated in uh such acyclical or even countercyclical industries uh it's really difficult to be optimistic so you would have to think that the fed would uh start cutting earlier but again um, the Fed has been relatively uh, slow to act in its hiking cycle. And I think the risk is uh, 
towards the Fed being too slow to act on cuts. And perhaps part of that is just policy uh, policymakers bias towards uh, some degree of optimism, some degree of soft landing optimism. And uh, we'll see just how swiftly the bottom falls out and the Fed is forced to acknowledge softening economic fundamentals that warrant cuts, perhaps in late Q1. In the room with me is uh, Will Hoffman, an associate in the interest rate strategy team here at BI. Uh, Will, come in here with a question. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, as always. I've got a bit of a two-parter here for you, Stuart. Um, first one has to do with inflation. So both yours and the Fed's updated uh, year-end 24 inflation forecasts, uh, I call it PCE, CPI, whichever measure you prefer, uh, all remain well above what the Fed's stated long-term target is of 2%. And they've been very, very diligent in emphasizing they're not planning on changing that, at least until they get back to that level. Um, I guess I was curious what you think some of the dynamics are. Should we get later into 2024 and inflation still remains above the Fed's target? And sure, they have 75 basis points of, of cuts penciled in. Uh, but to what extent may that have to be rethought? Should inflation remain durably above their target? Um, and then I guess with a, a quick pivot, a lot changed in, I guess, a lot, a lot of corners of markets and the SEP yesterday. But I do want to get your thoughts about what didn't change. And that was the Fed's long-term dot. We saw some movement in the distribution of dots, but the median stayed glued to where it always, or not always, but where it has been over the last uh, <laughs> four or five years. Four right? or five years, exactly. Um, but we are seeing some upward movement in some of the committee members' Uh, submissions there. And so I was curious to get your thoughts on what the, the longer term uh, Fed funds rate might look like. Yeah, that's a, a really important question because I guess part of the subtext to that question is whether the Fed is truly devoted to its average inflation target of 2%. Uh, yes, in the dot plot and in our, for, in our forecast, we see core inflation running uh, above that 2% target through year end 2024. Uh, a big part of that is because we think at least the last mile of that disinflation process is going to be difficult, which is why we think that there has to be a bit more labor market turmoil for the Fed to get to its 2% inflation target. Um, the Fed is a bit more uh, optimistic that it could at least thread the needle and perhaps might be willing to trade off a slower uh, convergence toward the 2% target. Uh, to avoid near-term pain. I think that that's probably what's operative in the background of the median uh, FOMC members' core inflation forecast. What you identified about the long-term uh, long forecast for the federal funds rate, um, yes, the median dot did not change over the long run, but there is a longer tail on the upside in uh, the distribution of dots or the distribution of forecasts for the federal funds rate target. Some folks looked at that and thought that it might be indicative of uh, inflation running a bit hot, or the Fed being less devoted to its 2% target, maybe uh, accepting 2.5%, which would boost the, uh, the nominal Fed funds target um, over the long run. We think that it probably has to do a bit more with underlying dynamics that can contribute to higher uh, real rates potentially. And it's not necessarily a matter of productivity growth, but a matter of blown out, uh, blown out budgets and uh, a fiscal burden that's mounting. Um, and so it's not entirely clear where 
FOMC members fall between those two explanations for why the distribution of dots is now a bit wider for the long-term federal funds rate target. Um, but those are two hypotheses. Uh, we think that the Fed is devoted to its average inflation target of 2%, but it's a sufficiently flexible uh, framework that it doesn't help to give much insight into how aggressive the Fed will want to be over the next two years uh, to get back to that target, I think to get back to think, 2%. Yeah, I think there's two things that are important in, in this discussion. I think, number one, talking about the long-term dot. Um you look at some of the models, you know, that that the Federal Reserve tries to use for what our star is, right? The real uh, Fed funds rate where it should be, and that's currently running above one percent. Of course, it does move around a lot, and it's moving. But if it is one percent, then what's a little bit surprising is that if they have a two percent inflation forecast in the long run that they think they're going to meet, then you know that long term dot might meander up. At least I think it might meander up toward three percent. Um, more as a floor, because if you're going to have uh, if if you're going to have to have easy policy at some point, then clearly you want a um, a, a, a to be below our star, right? You need the Fed fund rate to be below our star at some point. And if you're running inflation at two percent, then you know you probably don't want necessarily the Fed fund rate to be a lot below two percent in order to um, in order to to have easy, relatively easy monetary policy. And the the other thing, and Stuart, I, I would like your comment on this because I thought that this was kind of the important part of what Jay Powell said. And this certainly saw a large market reaction. In fact, the, the market sold off 11 basis points right after he said this. And it was, I shouldn't say sell, sold off. Yields went down by 11 basis points in, uh, in front end uh, SOFR futures. When Jay Powell said, we're not going to wait for the uh, inflation rate to reach 2%, we're going to start cutting before that, and we're going to. Uh, it'll be too late if we wait until it gets to two percent, right? So that's an acknowledgement that, as long as we're trending toward their target, right, trending toward two percent, that that won't be an impediment to to cutting rates. And that's not the, completely dissimilar to what Governor Waller said as well. So it's almost an acknowledgement that that's kind of in the becoming the standard operating procedure that that they intend on. Um, you know, starting to cut rates when it's at some level trending toward two percent. Now the question is, do they start that process when, you know, core core CPI or PCE is at two point eight percent, or do they wait until it's two point four percent? Right. So so there is a timing, somewhat of a timing issue there. So so I'm wondering, you know, th that from a market perspective was incredibly important, and it, like I said, it was it basically was was about half the move that occurred in in the rate market yesterday happened right after that comment, um, and the rest of it basically happened right after the SEP came out with that additional interest rate cut uh, that that was priced into the market. So any thoughts on on that and on the the sequencing that the Federal Reserve might uh, start to uh, start to act next year in terms of easing policy. Sure. So I think that uh, what Powell was acknowledging is that uh, when you hold nominal policy rates steady, as inflation comes down and as economic activity slows, those nominal rates become increasingly restrictive. So if you're trying to thread the needle for a soft landing, you need to start cutting nominal rates as inflation slows and as the economic activity slows. So uh, I, that, that's sort of 200 level macro, you know, that an undergraduate student would appreciate. And I think that, uh, that that's both what Christopher Waller was, was uh, noting about two weeks ago. Uh, and it's interesting to see that uh, 
that it's a relatively simple framework. It's an easy, uh, it's easy for markets to interpret and understand, and it makes sense that the Fed, uh, that's optimistic about its soft landing prospects, would start cutting rather early, especially if you're considering it in the context of uh, our proximity, I guess, to the two percent inflation target. Um, beyond that. I think the thing to keep in mind is that there are a couple uh, there are a couple relatively simple calculations that folks at the Fed are probably watching uh, that uh, matter a lot in policymaking. The first, very simply, three and six month annualized core inflation measures. If we're getting to the point where core inflation is running about 15 to 17 basis points month on month. And we're conver converging to a three and six month annualized pace of inflation of about 2%. The even if year on year measures are not at the Fed's 2% target, it could show that most recent prints are indicative of sufficient slowing in the pace of inflation that the Fed can start cutting. I think that, and based on our estimates and our forecasts, we'll get to those month on month and, uh, and three and six month annualized figures in Q1. Uh, in addition to that, I think that it's important to keep in uh, keep diffusion in mind, and we are seeing a disinflation vector coming from deflation, outright deflation, month on month in 60% of the core uh, that we just saw in the CPI print. Uh, and if you're the Fed, that's the sort of thing that gives you uh, that gives you a lot of optimism that. Uh, the inflation outlook is starting to swing in the direction of reaching the 2% inflation target um, and, and will allow the Fed to start cutting rates. That's not to say that year-on-year -year inflation is going to get to the target uh, imminently, um, but there's sufficiently uh, strong evidence uh, from a bottoms-up perspective uh, when those two uh, those two different calculations are showing uh, that recent prints are are painting a disinflationary picture. Which means for our uh, interest rate forecast of 3.22% for 10-year yield at the end of the year, maybe we'll uh, we'll get there much earlier. <laughs> so um, right direction, maybe a uh, rug magnitude. So look out for uh, some forecast changes from us, especially if uh, we start to see more of the evidence that, that Stuart just mentioned. Uh, so one last question here from uh, from Will Hoffman, and then we'll uh, uh, and then we'll we'll be out of here. One last for you, Stuart. Um, pivoting off what you mentioned about the the disinflationary vector in in core, um, I know a lot of that comes from core goods and something we've heard particularly out of Powell's mouth and everybody's been watching very closely throughout the year is uh, the super core measure, um, core services X housing. Um, and that has actually gone the opposite direction over the last few months with annualized rates, depending on which measure you prefer, um, running well in excess of the Fed's target and actually with the first derivative that's pointing up. Um, and so I think 0.44% was the, the last month print for that measure. Um, so I'm curious if you guys think the Fed is going to abandon that um, or at least uh, have a view as to the, I'll call it disinflationary process uh, and that stickier portion of the inflation basket. Thanks. I, I think that there are, yeah, I think that there are a couple factors that are in play here. I think that yes, uh, focus on the super core measure has been overemphasized. I think that what matters most is the long-term relationship between uh, labor market tightness and super core inflation, or even just labor market tightness and core inflation period. 
Uh, we know that in the background, there will be a softening of shelter inflation that'll help to bring the core back into focus. Uh, and it, it appears to be that at least over uh, in the medium to long run, uh, softening of the labor market does help to bring down super core inflation. Layer on top of that, a, uh, a core goods picture um, that should leave the Fed relatively optimistic because we've been getting drag from core goods on par or even in excess of what we saw um, what we saw pre-COVID. Um, so I think that that picture, um, again, still contributes to the disinflation outlook that the Fed's going to want to see. I think that what separates us from the Fed is that we attribute that disinflation more so to slowing economic activity and pessimism around the uh, uh, pessimism around the growth forecast, and the Fed is um, more so attributing it to immaculate disinflation. Um, if the Fed is attributing it to immaculate disinflation, there is a limit to uh, just how long this process can go on for. Uh, if you are like us, rather pessimistic in both the growth outlook and the labor market outlook, then I think that we see a return a, a return to that dis disinflationary process in the super core, uh, and that helps to bring the Fed back to its inflation target. Great. Well, that was Stuart Paul. He's an economist within the U.S. economics team at Bloomberg Economics. He works with Anna Wong and that group. We really appreciate you coming on, Stuart, to the Macro Matters version of the FIC Focus podcast. Thank you. Dear listener, we hope that you've enjoyed the show. If you have any idea for any topics that you'd like us to hit on or any guests you'd like to hear from, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. Until next time, I've been Ira Jersey. On behalf of Will Hoffman and myself, be well.